We live in a world where it's offensive to preach the gospel of Jesus and to talk about his name. And I'm here to talk about it. Welcome to the Jesus is Offensive podcast. Yo, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Jesus is Offensive podcast. I am your host, Taylor Werfelman, as always, and I hope you guys have had an amazing few weeks since we talked last. I know it was the long-awaited um, podcast episode, but we got it out, and um, I'm really thankful for just the support from a lot of you guys. Um, I think it actually was one of the most listened to in a week ever on the podcast, so what a what an amazing God thing, and seriously, just all glory and honor to Him. Um, he runs this whole thing, and you know, people were saying, oh, if you don't make one, you know, no one will listen. But I just knew like, it's, it's all about who God brings to hear this podcast. And if it's one person, if it's 20 people, if it's 2 billion people, then so be it, you know? So thank you guys just for your support. And I'm really hoping that, you know, that podcast encouraged you, opened your eyes to new things, um, and brought clarity to some of these issues that are causing a lot of, uh, division in community. As I'm speaking right now, I'm kind of noticing my voice sounds a little hoarse. So I'm sorry about that. (laughs) We've been doing some ministry in the last few days and it's been amazing. I'd love to talk more about this specific story, um, down the line in the future. Um, but let's just say this one was very close to my heart. It was a family who was familiar with the podcast and, um, that's kind of how they got introduced to uh, more truth of the Lord and, and, uh, everything. And they eventually you know, this last weekend got to come out here to Montana and, uh, I think everyone in the family, uh, got something that they were looking for and there was new birth, there was revelation, there was deliverance, there was, um, people getting filled with the spirit, uh, people speaking in tongues. It was, it was truly beautiful. And, and, um, it just really brought home to me why I do this podcast. Um, obviously I want to spread truth and, and I want to help people, um, in terms of just teaching, but, you know, doing, being a part of that finish finishing work, uh, I guess I would call it just the beginning, but at the same time, like the important work, like you can listen to these teachings all day long, but if you are not repentant or if you are not baptized, if you are not filled, then what's the point, you know? So it was really cool to not only be someone who was sowing the seeds, but also someone that got to water it and really see some of those seeds sprout into these amazing, beautiful flowers. So I'd love to talk about that more in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, it was an amazing time. And again, it just really brought things full circle for the podcast to just show that um, the work that God has me doing here is important and I need to just trust in that and um, lean into that. So yeah, that was that was an amazing time. Um, also, um, with the release of this podcast episode, we are nearing the two-year anniversary of this podcast being released. I actually just pause the podcast to fact check because, um, originally I thought it was June 3rd that we released the podcast, but it was actually July 3rd. So we're, we're a little bit too soon on that announcement, but that is coming up, which is awesome because that gives me about a month to prepare some of the things that I want to release in that time. Uh, we'll be doing a big sale on the last remaining Jesus offensive t-shirts. I believe we have 25 or 30 of them. Maybe I think, um, we have a new sticker coming, Um, and potentially by that time we might have some other stuff in the works we're going to be doing a big sale, um, just to celebrate and, uh, 
this podcast and what God's done through it. And, you know, I want to give you guys an opportunity to be able to get those things at a super good price. Um, and you know, if you feel like you want to give to this podcast, that's a great way that you get to receive something. And I also get to receive something. So anyways, I was going to announce that as being this Friday, but looks like that will be in about a month. So glad I fact checked that right before. Um, but yeah, I think that's all for announcements for today. I feel like I'm in a classroom. That's our announcements. <laughs> um, but today we're going to be talking about something that God's been putting on my heart for a while. And, you know, I know last episode it was um, it was positioned towards um, certain communities that are dealing with this division and just bringing unity to that. But I think obviously there were some of you that you're not a part of that division or um, that's not something that's widely being talked about in your areas. Um, and as good as it is for you guys to know, um, I'm excited to get back to doing a podcast that's for everyone. That's a general teaching. Um, and I say general, but uh, oftentimes we mix up general with saying like, oh, it's going to be simple. I think this is one of the hardest teachings I will ever give. Um, and, you know, it's kind of following in suit with a lot of my recent teachings, like on pride and stuff. I say recent, even though that was like six months ago, but it's really things that God has been teaching me um, about. And um, that's, I think, what makes it difficult and also what makes it super beautiful because I'm able to share a lot of my experiences within uh, the realm of what we're going to be talking about. And that is going to be the... Um, what is faith really? What is faith? And I know we throw that word around a lot and, um, it's obviously littered throughout the Bible. Um, and it's something that we all say, yeah, I have faith. Yes. I believe in Jesus, you know, all these things. Um, and I caution any of you that are like, oh, I'm going to turn off this because I already know what faith is. I would really, um, love for you to stay because, um, I just think, in within what God's taught me, and not that I've attained all this, but um, he's taught me a lot about faith and what it really looks like to live and have true faith um, in who God really is and have faith and trust in him. And I want to share that today. And I really felt like God was prompting me ever since January, ever since I did that fast, that um, I was ready to speak on these things and that he had really taught me a lot on this. So praise God for that. Um but before we get into it, let's just let's just say a prayer and uh, prepare our hearts for this message because you know this is this is going to be something that when we hear it we have to work at it. This is something that you know faith is something we grow throughout our whole lives of following God. Um, it's not just a one time deal, um, unlike baptism and these types of things. So, anyways, let's pray. Um, dear Lord God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity, God, and and. Um, just for what you've taught me, God, within faith, God. Um, and I know you're teaching each and every person in uh, listening to this podcast so much, God, about so many different things, Lord. And we all have stories that we can tell. And I, I thank you for this platform that you've given me that I can share what you've done uh, in me, God, so that um, I can help to sharpen other people, Lord, to get them over the hump faster, Lord, and to um, draw closer to you in a quicker manner, God. Um, so I just pray, Lord, that you would speak through me right now, Lord, that everything I say would just totally um, come from your spirit, God, and anything that I may say that came from the flesh, Lord, I just pray that you would block that out of people's um, minds and ears, Lord. Um, 
Yes, God, just bless this podcast. We're just so grateful for who you are, Lord. And I pray that you would um, be the author and perfecter of all of our faiths um, from today on out, Lord, uh, from this message on out, Lord. So, um, yeah, we got we just thank you and love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, I think the initial question is, what is faith? And again, this is something that if I ask people, hey, do you know what faith is? Most people would say yes, but... I think we actually don't. It's similar to the pride situation, you know, and it, it takes time with God. So it's funny. I think this is one of the, one of, if not the only thing that is defined clearly in scripture, meaning they literally say, this is the definition of faith. Boom. And it's Hebrews 11. 1. And Hebrews, we're going to be really sitting in today. We're going to be bouncing around a lot because there's so much biblical information to have on faith, but Hebrews will really be the bread and butter for today's message. So I encourage you to open up Hebrews 11 if you can, and just leave that guy open. Um, but we're going to start at Hebrews 11, 1, then we're going to go off and do some other things and we're going to come back um, to that. But let's just define what faith is. And Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is being uh, sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I like, that was uh, NIV um, in 1984, but I like the NIV right now. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Um, it's very close. It changed certain to assurance, basically. Um, but what does that mean? Now, it's a two-parter here. So faith is confidence in what we hope for right? So um, let's say it's it's healing, right? I'm confident uh, that I'll get what I hope for. And what do I hope for? I hope to be healed. And the second part is assurance about what we do not see. Okay, so you're not healed yet. Hope is one aspect, but do you have assurance about that hope? Even though you don't see it, even though your arm is not healed, do you believe that already God can heal, will heal, and is healing and therefore claiming, I am healed, right? Taking that healing for ourselves, right? There's two very tough aspects to this. So, like I said, I kind of wrote here in my notes. This one has a lot of notes, by the way. <laughs> I might have confidence in Christ's healing powers or my hope to be healed, but do I have assurance that I will be healed and am healed even though I do not see it right away, right? So, when you think about this, okay, let's break down because a lot of people, I think, think, oh, hope and faith, they're, they're the same thing. Hope is more so wishful thinking, right? Like, I really hope this will happen. It's, it, hope is really what keeps us alive, in my opinion. Like, it, you always are hoping for something in the future. But faith is, you know, it talks about it's the substance uh, in another way. It's the substance of what hope is what is, it's the substance in what we hope for uh, instead of the confidence, meaning that faith is something that we can have now. Hope is always looking towards the future. But, but faith is, is something we, we have in the moment. And hope is in the mind, right? I, 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 I'm hoping for this. Faith is in the heart. Like we truly believe this thing. So I might have faith that, you know, God said, and I'm going to talk about this more later, but like when we moved to Montana, hey, God said, you know, you're going to have a house with acreage and this is going to be the price, right? I might, I might hope for that, but faith is already saying, I don't see it yet, but I already have it. Because if he said it, I already have that thing. That's the assurance. It's not like, well, I, you know, I hope we have it. I, I think we have, no, no, I'm assurance is being sure, right? I, I'm sure that that will take place. Um, and that's where it, it becomes extremely hard because faith is not something you see immediately. 
which is, you know, why Jesus told Thomas, you know, blessed is the one who does not see and still believes. Because Thomas went to him and was like, you know, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose until I see, you know, the marks in his hands. And Jesus is like, blessed is the one who who believes without having to see. And I think some people will use that verse to say, oh, see, you just need to have blind faith in Jesus. And that's why we don't need miracles for today. No, I don't believe that's what it's saying. Thomas had already seen miracles. That's what Jesus is saying. Thomas already had seen who Jesus was. And by all the signs that Jesus did, Jesus made it very clear that he had all authority. So when Jesus said, I'm going to raise from the dead, Thomas should have believed that without having to see it because Jesus had already proven himself. And that's why like faith is always a personal commitment to a person. Think about it. We put our faith in, in many different things throughout a day, right? Uh, our bank to keep our money safe. We put our faith in where we're eating and the people preparing our food that, you know, they're not putting poison in it. We put faith in the people who are driving us around Uber or our parents or, you know, whatever. Why do we do that? Well, obviously Uber is maybe a bad um, example because we've never met that person before, but most of the time we put faith in things because we feel that we've researched it or we know the person, like I have faith in my dad to drive me well in, in a car because I know, um, him very well. And he's proven it to me that he can, he can, um, protect me. Same for the bank. You know, we do a lot of research and, and we say, okay, they've never steered me wrong. Look at all these great reviews. Okay. They can protect my money. So, Again, that's what Jesus is saying to Thomas here. Like, I already showed you that I am faithful, right? Faith isn't just being blind and believing in just anything. Like, I don't, I don't look at a ladybug and and believe that you know have faith that it, um, it can be my God or protect me. Of course not. It's never proved that it can. But God, especially to the Jewish people, has proved once again and again throughout history, even just the Jews being a nation today, is proof that God is always faithful. So He's someone that. We can put our faith in, and I think that's what Jesus is saying to Thomas here. Like, blessed is the one who believes and does not see, because we already know God's track record. His track record is perfect, right? So, again, that's a quick little example, and we're going to dive a lot um, deeper into that. But you think about, you know, we're talking about Jesus right now. We're just kind of spitballing here. Like, he only healed the people that came to him. Why? Because they had the faith. He often told them, your faith is what healed them. And I think for a lot of people, they're like, what, what does that mean? Well, Jesus didn't just go up to random people and just place his hands on them and say, you know, be healed if they weren't asking for the healing. He, oh, It says he healed everyone that came to him, right? And again, if we go back to that definition of faith, right, they had confidence in what they hoped for. They had confidence that if we go up, we're going to get healed and assurance about what they did not see. They didn't see their healing, but the fact that they walked up to Jesus and asked for his prayer and his healing power, they already were sure that he could do it. Because think about it. It's pretty, like, I would never go up to my dad and be like, hey, can you heal my arm? Because I, I don't, even if I have stupid confidence that he can do it, I don't have assurance that, I don't, I'm not super sure that he can do it because I've never seen it. But these people knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus could do it. It's beyond hope. Hope is not knowing. Hope is, like I said, wishful thinking. Faith is knowing that God will do it. And so Jesus only healed the people that came to him. And the first part about, you know, that God kind of highlighted to me when I was, you know, putting together this message is this analogy. And it's like a magnet. I really truly believe that faith is like a magnet. So think about this, you know, when, a, when two magnets are pulled together or, or when, um, 
yeah, when magnets are faced the right way, like magnet on a metal surface, I don't know how magnets all work. So I'm probably saying some wrong stuff here, but like if you put a magnet on your fridge, right? Um, that magnet is attracted to the material on the fridge to magnetize, to stick to it. Now with a magnet, if you turn two magnets around and you face them towards each other, they'll actually repel each other. They actually do the opposite. Now God started to show me like, this is what faith is. God is so attracted to faith. Just like how the magnet is attracted to the wall or the wall is attracted to the magnet. When we show faith, God says, oh, I see that that person truly believes I'm going to heal them. And that's when he comes in to do the healing. So it's never, well, God, why don't you do it? it you, we always have to look at us. Do we believe that God can truly have it? Do, yeah, I hope for the for um, healing. How many times have you met people that you know haven't been healed in 15 years? Yeah, I hope God heals me. But are you, do you, are you sure that he will? Do you know that he's gonna, that he is? That's faith right there. And so with the magnet, the faith, it's attractive to God, right? Like when we take that step and we say, okay, God, I'm letting go of my control and I need you to be faithful. I truly believe he sees that and he acts. He acts. He just can't help it when he sees that faith. He loves faith. You know, later we're going to talk about it, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? So that's what I'm saying. When he sees that faith, that magnet of faith, he's so drawn to that, attracted to that because that's how you please him. And when he sees, like, when he sees you say, okay, like, again, I'm, I can only use my experience, but okay, God, we are going to leave our house in California without without a, a house in Montana. And we're not just going to go buy something outright. We're going to wait for the house that you said it will be with the acreage, with the price, with all these details that you've outlined for us. That's the faith of, and, and God sees that and is attracted to that and says, ah, okay, I want to act now because you're allowing me to act. You're totally surrendering your will. You're having faith in the only faithful person to do the work, right? So, and it's not hope. It's not, oh, we, well, we left and we hope we'd found a house. No, we knew we would find one. And again, I'm not saying this to glorify myself. We grumbled a lot and there was a lot of struggle. And we're going to talk about that later with faith that God tests us, but Overall, we knew that he was going to provide, and that's why we didn't settle for another house. That's why we lived in the van, and we didn't decide to rent something, you know, rent a house or something, because God had said it, and we knew that that's what we must do. And He, we knew that he would provide, right? So, again, if you have trouble understanding faith, picture it as a magnet. Now, the reason I, I bring up the other side of a magnet is it's like our sin, and really— you know, people say, well, I don't have any sin. Well, do you have faith? No. Well, in a way, I, th I believe that's sin because you begin to trust in your own self over God. So when we don't have faith, the opposite of that is that repelling magnet, right? That just like in the garden, Adam and Eve truly didn't believe what God said because God said, if you eat from that tree, you shall surely die. Well, they ate from it. So they obviously didn't truly have faith or they didn't truly believe or trust what God said. So they went against him. Right? So in a way, the opposite of faith is sin, right? Because they didn't believe, they didn't have faith that God had their best intention, their best. Um, he didn't have the best intention for them. They didn't trust that. They didn't have faith in that. So they did what they thought was best. And so with the magnet analogy, when we don't have faith, we actually repulse God. We push him away. We don't allow him to act in our lives, right? He wants to be our provider, but I got to work overtime. I got to, I got to stress out. I got to do all these things. 
He wants to be our healer, but no, I got to take medication. I got to do all these things. But he's like, I, I can do all those things. But as long as we want to control them, we can't allow him to work in our lives. We push him away. So when you think about faith, think about it as that magnet. Are you pushing him away or are you attracting him to work in your life? Are you allowing, think about when you put the magnet on the wall, the wall is controlling the magnet now. The magnet can't move. It's stuck to that wall. Are you sticking yourself to God? Are you allowing him to move you wherever he wants? Or are you pushing him away and doing your own thing? Like the magnet in the opposite way. Well, I never even thought about that. That Thank you, Lord. That clicks. Um, you know, and again, I have written here, faith is saying you have it before you do. And a lot of people don't like this. Like, oh, you're a part of the name it, claim it. You know, I'm healed and you're not really healed. But, and yes, that can get out of place. Like, um, I'm going to have a Ferrari today. Yeah, that's, that's not God's will, right? But the point is, is Abraham, right? God promised him a son. We're going to read more about this in Hebrews 11. God promised him a son and he, he, claimed it. He's, he knew that God promised him a son. And and even when he had the son, then when he went to go sacrifice him, he knew God could raise him from the dead because he believed God and he believed, no, this is my son. So faith is saying you have it before you really do like healing. I, I've really tried and it, I'm not perfect at it, but I've really tried to work at, you know, when I need healing, I'm just, I declare I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed every day. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. Thank you. It's blind faith. I don't see it yet. But I have assurance about what I don't see. I have assurance that God is healing me and God will heal me. So thank you, Lord, for the healing. Not God, please, you know, I hope that you'll heal me. Like that's only part of faith. It's having that assurance and no, he's going to take care of it. Think about it as a father, you know, and I'm sure a lot of you have had maybe bad childhoods, but I can share from my father. Like there's things I just don't need to worry about. I need to sometimes allow myself to be a son so that my father can do what he does best, right? I don't worry if I'm going to eat tomorrow because I have faith first and foremost in God, but let's just take God out of the scenario to make it more of a, like to use my dad more as the position of God. Like I have faith in my dad that he will provide food. That's how it is with God. We control what we can control, but in the end, God is our provider, right? We have to allow him to provide in those moments. So, Again, faith is saying you have it before you do. And that's very hard. Um, and again, he wants to see our faith so that he can work within that faith. If we don't let go and allow him to come in, then how can he work in that, you know? Um, and, you know, Romans ten seventeen. just to give a little context, you know, he's talking about the Jews being saved and, and hearing the true gospel message and everything. And he says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So our faith comes from hearing the word of God. Now that's either in our scripture, not either, but can be from scripture and then can be from God speaking directly to us. But we get it from, if God tells me something, if God says, I'm going to do this, then I believe him. I don't just have hope. Oh God, yeah, I hope you do that. No. Okay, God, you will do that. I know you will do that. Dock it. That's Prophecy is knowing history before it happens. But again, faith is almost like calling the future history because we already know what it's going to look like if we truly believe in what God says. And that's why faith is so important because faith begins to shape how we live in the moment. If we're always looking towards the future and we already know the ending, and we, like I said, 
you know it. So you don't just believe it. You don't just hope for the ending to be what it says in Revelation or whatever. No, you know it to be that way. Then that'll define and shape the way you live. And I think it'll make you live for God much more. You know, again, I'm bouncing around to a lot of different ideas, but I think just as the spirit leads, um, that makes a lot of sense. So faith has to come from hearing the word. And, you know, I don't want to talk about this right now because it's personal, but God has promised me things and it's been a long wait and some things have still not happened. But this is why God has taught me faith because he's shown me that it's not just confidence in what we hope for. Like, oh man, yeah, I'm really confident that like, hopefully, you know, that'll happen. No, it's, it's assurance of God's taught me how to be. No, I know for a fact, this is what will happen. This is what God will do. He promised it. So this is what he will do. And that shapes the way I live. That shapes the way I do things because if this is true, then I can't do this. If this is true, then I don't want to do this, you know? And that's truly faith. It's having that assurance that, no, he, like, he said he's going to do that. Okay, then he's already done it, even though it's in the future. Faith is a test of our belief, really. And that's that's the two-sided part of faith. Faith is something we do, but it's also a test from God. Are you going, he puts us constantly in places where, are you going to trust in me or are you going to trust in yourself? And with that, Getting back to the word, I want to go to Isaiah 30. I know we're, we're cranking over to the Old Testament here today. Um, God kind of had me reading through Isaiah in the last six months, reading a commentary. I was not very fast at it, but nonetheless, um, really amazing book. And obviously there's already things that I forget, but God was reminding me today just about this story of Hezekiah, you know, and Isaiah was um, in the time of Judah and Israel being uh, separate things. So you know, you had the tribes in the north and then the tribes in the south, right? And and Judah was one of those. And um, I believe that in this time frame, right, the uh, Israel in the north, right, had already been taken out. But Judah in the south, the, the, the two tribes of Judah, they had still had faith in God and um, God had protected them. But, you know, things were cracking down, right? You had the Assyrians at this time uh, conquering many places and, you know, they were, um, to spare a lot of the details, they were planning to, at some point, attack Judah. And now, Hezekiah, the king of Israel, was was getting very fearful and immediately thought, oh, we should make an alliance with Egypt because Egypt will protect us. Now, from face value, you think, yeah, that's that's a very good logical idea. And, you know, people say, well, God gave us our minds. So, you know, that was probably from God. Okay. Um but you actually find in Isaiah here, and Isaiah was a prophet speaking to the people of Israel, um, prophet meaning that he was hearing from God. He's delivering a message from God saying, no, that's that's not a, at all what I want you to do. And basically God is arguing, and I'm going to read actually the verses here, but God is telling them, you know, that, yeah, in the world's eye, hooking up with Egypt sounds like a great idea, but he's like, you're trusting man over me. And this is where this conversation about faith I hope really convicts you and, and is trying to you because it is for me because wow, it really like it was not sin to go ask Egypt for help. But to God, God's saying, that's showing me your heart that you don't really trust me. You trust people. And you're like, whoa, think about all the things that we trust in people over God to do. And then we'll say, well, no, I think that was from God. You know, we have to, we have to use our minds. We have to work in this world. It's like, yeah, but God's looking for supernatural faith. Think about Jericho. They didn't say, okay, we got to go hire an army and we got to get a wrecking crew to wreck down the walls. 
No, God said, walk around the city for seven days and all the walls will fall. But today we, we don't have, we don't even allow our minds to think that way, but it's the same God. We, we think if we were in that situation, we would say, okay, either a God, it's too hard. We can't take it or B, okay, we got to go pair up with Egypt, you know, we'll, uh, or another country, you know, we'll give them part of the reward. They'll help us tear things down. Um, and they'll help us overtake Jericho. But God's like, no, that's, that's not what I want you to do. So we see the same thing. So let's go to Isaiah 30, one through five, as I've given you some context. And remember when the Bible says, whoa, it's like a curse. It's like, like, be careful in, in you doing that. Like, woe to you, you know, be careful that you do that because you will reap the, um, consequences. So 31, uh, to what are we going to five? Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. So what is he saying here? The sin that they're committing is they're carrying out their own plans and not God's plans. How many times do we do our plan, and I'm speaking to myself as well here, and not God's, forming an alliance, but not one with the spirit of God, right? God's saying, yeah, I want you to form an alliance. I want you to form an alliance with me. I'm the only faithful one. Egypt is, is, will fail you, but I will never fail you. And that's, that's of course, constantly what he was trying to tell the Israelites when they would turn to gods, when they would turn to sin, all these things. He's like, why do you turn to these things to give you fulfillment and to protect you when I'm the only one that's been faithful through everything? I got you through the desert. I got you through the, uh, I parted the seas for you, right? I helped you take all these, uh, lands. So, um, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Right? They don't ask him. How many times do we do that? How many times do we live life without asking God, God, should I do this? I, I'm totally to blame here as well. Without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in, in Zoan and their, en and their envoys have arrived in Haines, Everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. So again, God's saying, you're not consulting me. You're trusting in humans over the God of Israel, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God that took you out of Egypt. It, like really think about it now in this way. Like these are the same people that got taken out of Egypt. And now God's like, why are you going back to Egypt to help for, ask for their help? You didn't need their help when I delivered you from the Egyptians. But again, you don't get delivered from the Egyptians without faith. Because in the eyes of man, the Israelites, they're going to be slaves for the rest of their lives. But God says, no, no, no. The faith of one man, right, um, in Moses can deliver a whole people group. Remember, they were walking out of Israel and people were giving them, the Israelites were giving them their gold and all their riches. And yes, of course the, the Egyptians came after them, but who's, who swallowed them up in the, in the sea? God. So now why are you going to rely on them again? Don't you realize that me, God, I am the one that is your protector, right? And again, we look at this and we're like, wow, they're so dumb, but this is us every day. Why are we taking all these medications? If we truly believe God is the protector who, who, who breathed life into your lungs, the doctors or God, because if it's God, then why are we putting what the doctor says over God's breath in our lungs? Why are we relying on their stuff instead of God's? And again, I know this is challenging. I know some of you are saying, oh, he's one of those people that don't believe in medication. Listen, I'm not, did I say any of that? I'm, I'm, I'm questioning all of our 
commitments and all of our faith in who God is. You know, this this word contains many, many claims about who Jesus says he is, who God says he is. It's up to us if we believe it. And believe it isn't say, yeah, 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 I believe it. It's not a hope for it. It's faith. It's assurance. Yeah, he is that way. Yes, he is healer. And we're going to talk about that more later. But let's pop on over to continuing this story from Isaiah. Isaiah 31, 1 through 9. And remember, these are that was God's words right there. Um, 31, 1 through 9. Okay. <clears throat> Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots. All right, all these things in in the mind of a military officer look, wow, these are great ideas, right? They have so many chariots, they have so many horses, they have, you know, they have great warriors, but he's saying, woe to you. God's saying, I'm so much greater, how dare you trust those things? Um, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. How often do we not seek help from the Lord and first we go seek help from every everything else from the Lord? This is what leads people to psychics and mediums and, and Reiki healing, right? Because we don't seek the Lord. Yet he too is wise and can bring disaster. He does not take back his words. He will rise up against the house of the wicked, against those who help evildoers. But the Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. Right? God's comparing what he has to the Egyptians. When the Lord stretches out his hand, he who helps will stumble. He who is helped will fall. Both will perish together. This is what the Lord says to me. As a lion growls, a great lion over his prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against him, he is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. So the Lord Almighty will come down to do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights like birds hovering overhead. The Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over and will rescue it. So remember, again, you guys, the people are are hearing this and they're saying, yeah, right. And again, to give you more context, because as I'm reading, things are coming back. I can't remember the exact timeline, but I know before God, which spoilers alert, before God takes out the whole Syrian army that comes to, you know, destroy Israel, they actually box all of, or sorry, not all of Israel, all of Judah. They box all of Judah in. There's no food. There's no water. Luckily, they make an aqueduct so that they can get water into the city, but they're boxed in. They they were basically toast in their mind. They're surrounded in this point. Um, and that's why, you know, uh, God's talking about here, you know, the lion growls over his prey, right? Um, he's not de- frightened by their shouts and disturbed by their clamor. So um, return to him, verse 6, return to him, you have, you, uh, sorry, return to him, you have so greatly revolted against, O Israelites, for in that day, every one of you will reject the idols of silver and gold your sinful hands have made. These are promises. This is God promising something. Remember, in the moment they're hearing this saying, oh, come on, this won't happen. Guess what? It happens. God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. Assyria will fall by a sword that is not of man, right? It's not Egypt. A sword not of mortals will devour them. They will flee before the sword and their young men will be put to forced labor. Their stronghold will fall because of terror. At sight of the battle standard, their commanders will panic declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Now, I want to give you guys more backstory here. So the amazing part about this story is God's like, all I'm asking for you is to trust in me. 
Stop worrying about X, Y, and Z. Just have faith in who I am and I'll take care of it. I'm going to protect you. What he's basically doing is he's flexing on us right now and he's saying, you know how easy it is for me to take out the Assyrians, but you don't trust in me. You know how hard it's going to be to take them out with Egypt, but you don't trust in me. This is what actually happens in that story. One day they wake up and the whole army has been completely slain. I believe it was 180,000 or something like that, 189,000. Um, they've all been slain in one night. And apparently history records that there was about 10 people remaining and obviously they fled. Um, now, if you look in the Assyrian history, there's some writing that, um, you know, the leader of Assyria at that time said, oh, Hezekiah, which was the king of Israel, we have you boxed in and all these things, like a like a bird and all these things. But then he also says that they just happened to leave and decided not to attack Judah. So obviously that's the Assyrians trying to write their own history and make themselves look good. Because again, to put this in perspective, Judah was tiny. It was a blimp on the map and 180,000, they were no match for that. But they just left. But biblical history tells us, and some historians also suggest that, you know, of course, because they're trying to explain away supernatural things, they say, oh, you know, they think a plague came in that night or rats came and destroyed the army while they were sleeping. And, you know, but in one night, the angel of the Lord came and killed every enemy. And this was God saying, Israel, can you not just trust me? Look at all that I have done. And God kept proving, you know, later on I was reading in Isaiah, he said, you know, I showed myself to a people who did not seek me. Meaning God kept showing his hand, right? He, he could have just left Israel and be like, look, I've already showed you I'm faithful. Like, and now you're not going to trust me? Okay, well, I'm done with you guys. But no, again, God showed them his, his faithfulness, right? That when we trust in him, he's faithful, that he always follows through. And I, I think we can all have faith in someone that always follows through. And this is why it's so important to know the Old Testament because we see that, for one, what was God looking for? He was always just looking for faith. He wasn't looking for the law. He didn't even want the law. He wasn't looking for a king. He didn't want the king. He just wanted them to have faith in God. God wanted to be their king. And you can only have a king if you have faith in him, right? We have, even if you say, oh, I hate the government, I'm against it. No, you have faith in them because you live normal day lives and you have faith that, you know, they're not trying to kill you. (laughs) Even if they are, you have that faith. But God wanted us to have faith in a perfect king. When was the last time you put your faith in someone that was faithful to the end? Yet we put our faith in so many things and so many people that are not faithful. Yet it's so hard for us to put our faith in God who is completely faithful. Faithful meaning he is always going to follow through. And again, this is a prime example. He's like, this is easy for me. You don't have to go get an army. And, you know, knowing the context of the story, it was because the people turned to God. Specifically, it was because Hezekiah turned to God and he put his trust in God and he prayed and he said, you know what? Okay, God, like I'm going to trust in you. Like I'm not going to band up with the Egyptians. And guess what? God delivered them from evil. This is faith. But he puts our faith to the test, right? They were surrounded. It looked like it was done. But if God promises something, we have to look at our scenario. We have to look at our reality and say, yeah, that's reality, but I know how it ends. We might not be able to piece together, like let's take something biblical. We might not be able to piece together revelation. Like, oh, come on, how could we ever get there? But if God said it, He will get us there. It doesn't matter what reality looks like. To the Israelites, reality looked like we're about to die. We can't even survive in here. We don't have enough food. We're running out of water and we're surrounded. And guess what? They survived. And guess what? Israel is still alive today. They're the longest living um, people group in the whole world ever. 
yet they've been conquered so many times. They've been persecuted so many times. That is because they serve a faithful God. And again, I agree that they are not following him today. But the point is, is, you know, it talks about more in Isaiah that God talks about making um, Israel a nation again and that all the nations will look to Israel. And he said, I didn't do it for Israel this time. I did it for the nations as a banner so that people would see that I am God, that I am faithful, right? So Israel existing today, I think obviously God loves them and wants them to be saved, but it's partially also to show how faithful God is, that the people group that he put his stamp on still exists to this day. No other people are like that. No other state, you know, has been built. And I know it's not a state. I just mean like the state of Israel. No country has ever been built like Israel and has still survived. Israel is not by any major trade routes. It's not uh, by any major um, rivers. It's in a very precarious place, but God has allowed them to flourish. And this is why you read the Old Testament again, because there's so much there. So anyways, (laughs) moving on, you know, again, some ways, some practical ways is finances, right? As I moved to Montana and I and following God um, and living this life for him and, and, you know, spending my life to disciple people and to help people. Finances was a big thing. Okay, God, like I had a budding career, no, no pride, but just things were working out in LA, California. Um, and now I'm out here and there's no filmmaking work. You know, I lost clients. I lost this and that. I can't do anything in person. But God's like, do you trust me? You're doing my will. Do you trust me? If I told you, right, it's faith comes from hearing the word. If the word Jesus Christ told my family to move to Montana, then I can have faith that God is going to provide. And he has, he has, he has again and again. Every time I'm like, God, I I can barely pay this bill. Please, God, just come like, I need you to send me work. I'm not asking for him to send me money. I just, God, send me an editing gig. And then boom, the next day I get a call, this, that, the other thing, like, he is so faithful, but he's he's looking for us to be day-to-day. Remember in Matthew, it says, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow, worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own, right? And then he talks about, you know, if I feed the bird, surely I will feed you and give you what you need. So he doesn't want me to worry about tomorrow. Obviously, we're not to be ignorant, but he wants me to be so reliant on him so that he can bring the work that he wants me to do. I know it sounds like, oh, you're being uh, stupid by just, you know, waiting for God to bring work, but I'm being proactive in every way that I can be. And then leaving it up to God leaves him to decide what jobs I do, when I do them, how much I make off them. And yeah, that seems scary, but he knows what I need. So why wouldn't I want to work off his terms instead of mine, right? This is faith. And I'm not saying, look at me, I have faith, you know, like it's not easy ever. And we're going to talk about that. Faith is not ever easy. Obviously, we can look at the Israelites as, you know, option number one. They'd been delivered from Egypt, you know, a few hundred years back, and now they're struggling to have faith again. Like, it's not easy. This takes work. So, without further ado, um, let's go to Hebrews 11, where, you know, we're going to find the bulk of um, kind of what God wants to speak today. But first, I'm going to take a little sip of some water. <clears throat> I don't know if you can hear that, but my water makes this little whistle sound whenever I'm with people. It's very weird. Um, <clears throat> all right. So Hebrews 11, we're going to go pretty far here now just to give some context. Okay. Hebrews, love it. Such an amazing book, a really, um, 
would recommend everyone to uh, read it. Um, but Hebrews is, you know, really concerned with, it seems, um, Jewish believers. Now, there's a lot of word out. We don't know who wrote it. We don't, you know, people think, oh, it was written for the Jews. People think it was written for the Gentiles, you know, but in my opinion, it seems to be written to the Jews because it's talking a lot about not going back to the law. And this is good for Gentiles too, because some Gentiles were, you know, distracted by the Jews thinking we should go back to the law. But the reason it has the best passage on faith, in my opinion, in the Bible is because it's explaining that we are not justified anymore by the works of the law. We are now defined by our faith, right? The faith that we've been talking about. Like, again, God was looking for Israel just to have faith in him, that he was their protector, that they would turn from their idols, like the uh, verse said that we read, turn from their idols, trust in him, so that he could provide for them. So that's what he's looking for us. He's he's going to set us free from sin. He's going to deliver us from the evil one. He is going to bring us to heaven someday. But he's first looking for our faith. So let's just read it. And this is going to be long. So I really encourage you guys, open up to Hebrews 11. And we're actually going to start a little earlier. Um, we're actually going to start at 35. And I know it, it starts with a so... Um, so it's like, feels like we're jumping in, like kind of out of context, but again, please go and read the whole book for yourself. I told you, I gave you some context. You know what's going on in this time, but so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised for in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one, right? Us. Um, those of us who are born again, seeking God, um, will live by faith. So if you are a righteous one, you are living by faith. If you're not living by faith, you're not a righteous one. This is an if-then statement in in a way, because um, righteous ones, they will live by faith. Not they might, they will. So if you're not living by faith, you're not a righteous one. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. So you either shrink back and you're destroyed, not saved, and, or you're those who believe and are saved and you walk by faith. So I just like that little part because it talks about faith there. And then we get into what is faith, right? So Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith, well, this is what we already read, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, meaning everything came from nothing in a way. There was God, right? And he created all of this from his own hand. By faith, Abel, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So why was he taken away? Because he pleased God. How did he please God? By faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So a lot of people say, oh, I believe he exists. Yes. But do you believe that, um, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him? Everyone will say yes, but here's why I challenge you. Do you do you like rewards? Yes, 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 yes. Everyone's going to answer yes. Okay, then why don't you seek him? 
because you don't truly believe that by seeking him, you will gain a reward. So by using that logic, you actually don't believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him because you would seek him so much. Same for me, right? There's always, we all have amounts, percentages of belief. Like if I truly believe he's going to reward me, like I want to seek him with all my heart. We all like rewards. That's not something bad. That's why the Bible says it. But again, it is impossible to please God without faith. We need faith. All these things we've talked about, about letting go of our control and putting in God. We have to have faith in God or we cannot please him because who's God if we don't put faith in him? It's us. And we're going to talk about that more, but that's exactly what the devil wants. If we don't put our faith in Christ, we're our own God. We don't need him. And that's what's happened in America. We don't need God. That's the thought we believe. So we don't have faith and therefore it's impossible to please God. Moving on to verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen yet in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heirs of the righteousness that comes by faith. So righteousness only comes by faith. If you do not have faith, you will not become righteous. And that's kind of what I was saying about how, you know, when we hear something from God and we we believe it, we truly have faith that it will happen like revelation. It shapes the way we live. And Noah's a perfect example. And sorry, I, I'm going to pause a lot because I just like to break scripture down as I read it. So that's why I want you guys to be open to the scripture to know what I'm quoting and what I'm not. But again, when by faith, Noah, when warned about these things, not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Did you know that it had never rained on the earth until the flood? But God tells Noah, hey, there's going to be this giant flood and it's going to erase earth and you need to build an ark to save your family. That's faith, right? Because it's having that assurance of what was not seen. He had never seen rain, but he was sure that because God spoke that to him, that it would rain and that that rain would flood the whole earth. So because of that faith that he had that that would happen, building an ark was very easy because That was just the preparation part. And that's why I said, when we have faith in those future events that God reveals to us, when God shows me something like this will take place, it shapes the way we live. It shapes the things we do. It changes everything about ourselves and our relationship with God. That is faith. If we are not changed by the word of God, then we do not have faith because we don't actually believe what he says is true. And that's why people will say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Well, then why doesn't your life look different? Because if you truly believe in Jesus, Jesus said that if you do not do these things, you will inherit the kingdom of darkness and you will, you will be in, in, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you don't actually have faith in what God says. You just believe he's a real person. This is faith. This is why it's impossible to please God without it, because faith makes you live different. When I truly have faith or belief in what God says, when God says, Hey, idolaters, um, sexual immoral, all these things, those are the people that go to hell. If I truly have faith in that, then I'm going to stop doing all those things because no one wants to go to hell. But most of us don't actually believe what Jesus said. Don't think about it as a, I believe in Jesus existed. Do you believe in Jesus as in, do you believe in me? Like Taylor, do you believe in Taylor? Do you believe that if you gave me $5,000, I'd take care of it? Do you believe in me? That's the belief that Jesus wants. Do you believe in him to take care of you? That's belief. It's not believing that he's a real person. You know, history is very clear on that. So again, it had never rained, but Noah believed what God said. He had faith that what God was saying was true, even though in his circumstances, it seemed crazy. And that's why, you know, he says by his faith, by believing that he condemned the whole world because the whole world was like, you're stupid for building the ark. But 
Noah had faith that it would rain and that it would flood the earth. And guess what? It did. By Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundation to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, please do your own research here, but I have heard from some commentaries and historians and things that we always think, oh, the ancient world, you know, they all lived in tents or clay houses or whatever the heck. Um, but if you look into history, it seems to uh, history seems to point that Abraham, where he was coming from originally, he had a house, he had running water, he had some of these things that we probably don't even realize existed back then. So to go live in a tent for the rest of his life. Now remember, he moved um, into that tent when he was around, you know, the age seventy-five or eighty, right? Um, picture that. Picture your grandpa being like, "Okay, I'm going to listen to God, and I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go live in the jungle and wilderness because God said that this land will be mine." No one does that. Now, I'm not saying you should go do that unless God tells you. But remember, faith comes from hearing the word. Abraham heard God, the word. That's the word of God. We, we think of the word meaning the Bible, but the Bible is just the word of God. So anytime we hear from God, that is the word of God. Um, obviously, we have to discern in the spirits. But if God is truly saying it, that's the word of God, obviously. Um, he heard from God. And he obeyed it and left his house. And he, remember, Abraham never saw the, you know, Israel as a nation. He never saw a king in Israel. He barely saw any of that. He he really was just the father of that nation. He had Isaac and then Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob was truly the beginning of Israel. He didn't see the promise. He ne- can you Imagine that. He never actually saw what God promised to him, but he still had faith to the day that he was dying. Now, I think God was very gracious to Abraham because within that, he knew that Abraham would never see the promise, which was, you know, God told Abraham, your um, offspring will be as numerous as the stars or, you know, the sand on the seashore, meaning uncountable. Obviously, Abraham never saw that. But remember, Abraham at this point was barren. Him and his wife could not have a child. 80, it's pretty old. And yes, in ancient times, it was a little different, but still that was pretty old as time was decreasing and age was decreasing. Um, and, and then God tells them you're going to have a kid. And I truly believe God did this to show in a smaller sample size, his faithfulness, even though Abraham had to wait, what, 20, 25 years for that kid. I forget the exact number, but I know that was, it was in the twenties. He still received that. So now that he saw that he could have faith for that. God was going to make Isaac and Jacob and all their offspring, an amazing nation, even though Abraham never saw it. So God was gracious in doing that. But again, even with Abraham's son, he waited 20 something years. And remember his wife, Rebecca, she totally doubted it because she was barren. She couldn't have a kid and she was too old anyways. So like, how do you have faith again? But Abraham was sure of something he did not see, right? I don't mean just seeing like physically. I I mean, like take C and look at it in a bit of a deeper way. Like I don't even see that happening. I don't see the possibility, you know, like not just not seeing a child and his wife, but being like, okay, well, she has this, she can't have kids, all these things, all these things. I, I don't see that even happening. I don't see that playing out, but he was sure of it. He was sure that that would happen. Right. And God met him and it was credited to him as righteousness. So this is faith. 
You might have to wait 20 years for something that God promised. Heck, you might have to wait your whole lifetime. But that's true faith. And if you want to please God, that's what God's looking for. So verse 11, um, by faith, Abraham, talking about him again, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, right? We were just talking about this. I'm sorry. I said Rebecca as his wife. I'm, I'm so dumb. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Sarah, a lot of names. Sometimes I say names and I'm like, oh man, was that it? <laughs> um, I'll start at 11 again. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father um, because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. So why was he able to become a father? Because he considered him faithful, God. He considered God to be faithful and God had made the promise, right? So faith comes from hearing the word. Again, he heard God and he considered that God, God, you are faithful. You have always delivered upon your promises. So I know that you will do this one. And God did that. And I like the wording they use because it's like the magnet analogy. He said, um, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. So it's not just, oh, because God wanted him to have a son. This is the partnership that God chooses with us. Yes, he's going to enact his will, but we also can't just sit back and say, well, God's will is already done like a Calvinist and like this is just predestined. No, it says he became a father because he considered God faithful who had made the promise. What if Abraham didn't consider God faithful who made the promise? Maybe he wouldn't have had a son. Maybe God would have chosen someone different. Now, obviously that never happened, but the point is, is it's like the magnet. The magnet has to be enabled and ready to attract the other side. And then when God saw that, he was attracted to Abraham's faith and it enabled him to become a father because Abraham trusted God in what God said and said, I believe you're a truther, not a liar. And so from this one man, verse 12, and he as good as dead, Abraham, thank, he was an old guy, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Right? He's look, the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, he's looking back and saying, all of Israel exists because of this man having faith. People always say, oh, why did God choose the Jews and all these things? I truly believe he didn't choose the Jews. The Jews weren't even a thing. He chose one man, Abraham, because he said, this man has faith. So if you want God to choose you, the one thing he's looking at is faith. And again, if you have faith, you're going to leave sin because you believe in God. And when you believe in God and you truly believe what he says, like I was saying about Jesus's words, when you believe everything Jesus said, then you're going to not do those things because you believe those things will send you to hell. So really he's looking for faith because faith fulfills every work. You know, James talks about, um, you know, faith without works is dead, but a true faith will produce works. He's, he's using that as an example to say, if you just have, if you just have faith, then you don't have faith at all because a true faith will make you do something, will make you respond, right? Noah truly believed that it would rain and that the whole world would be flooded. So within that faith, he built the ark. He believed that. So he responded. I really hope this makes sense for, cause for me, it's like, yes, yes, yes. Okay. That, it's like totally fleshed out that idea. Like, and obviously it's hard, but it totally makes sense how God sees us. He's looking for faithful servants, people that are going to trust him. when he's like, Hey, Hey, Jimmy, go, go over to China and take no money with you and tell the world about Jesus right away. As humans, we think, but this, but this, but this, what if, what if, what if, what if and God's like, hold on, I told you to do it. If I told you, then why are you thinking about the X factors? It's like, it's like when we moved here, I remember, um, some of us were a little afraid of like bears, you know, and yeah, we don't want to be dumb. We live in Montana. There's a lot of bears, grizzly bears, stuff like that. 
But at the same time, did God bring me here to get mauled by a bear? I don't believe that. Now, I don't live in ignorance of bears, but I also walk in faith of knowing, God, you have called me to do great things for your kingdom here. So why am I worrying about all these X factors like a bear? That's just the enemy trying to slow me down. God, you're going to protect me from that bear. You know how easy it is to reroute, for God to reroute a bear from my location? It's so easy. But he's like, are you going to trust me to do that? Because if you don't trust me to do that, I'm not going to do it. Like the magnet. If I'm pushing against God and not allowing him to show up, then he's not going to show up and maybe there will be a bear. But if I have faith, like, no, God, like, I have assurance of what is not seen. I'm sure that I'm not going to get eaten by a bear. I'm sure that you're going to protect me. Then I bet he will protect me because he's already promised that he has more for us here in Montana. You see how that all works? I really hope that makes sense. And if it doesn't, please rewind a little bit because and God, just give them ears to hear right now and a, and a heart to receive. So 13, all the, wow, we're going kind of slow, <laughs> but this is good. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Wow. They did not receive the things promised. And I think right here, he's potentially talking about the Holy Spirit, right? We're in the new covenant now. All of these people were hoping for something that was to come, the Holy Spirit, the, the that God would dwell with them. That's why, you know, uh, Jesus says, you know, John the Baptist was the greatest of men, but I say today you're greater than him, meaning we all have the spirit of God. So we have something he never got to receive. And these great men of faith, remember, we'd be blaming it on, well, I don't have the spirit or these great men of faith didn't even have the spirit inside of them. But they had enough faith to be credited as righteousness, to please God. They had enough faith to please God. So how much greater are we that we have the Holy Spirit that we should be able to please God? They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth, right? That's a big part of faith. We have to admit that we don't look like the earth. Oh, but Taylor, but medication... Yeah, but God never said you were going to look like the earth. So yeah, everyone takes medication, but that doesn't mean you have to. Oh, but Taylor, you know, we have to have money stored up because the whole earth, wait, wait, wait. God said we're going to look like aliens. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, but God said, you see how we can get down this road of, well, the world, these are all ways that the world lives. Who, who, where in the Bible does it say, you know, work super hard for 50 years and then maybe enjoy, you know, 10 years of your life before, you know, you die. I, I don't read that in the Bible. I don't read that at all. This is something that the world has set up and it's so that we can rely on ourselves. Well, if I can just work for 50 years, I'll be able to enjoy my life after that. That's not what God said. And that's just relying on your own means. That's not faith. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Noah, come on. Everyone was like, you're crazy for building that ark. But he had faith. If I, if I truly believe in the book of Revelation, then every day could be my last. I'm not here to do this and that. I'm here to please God. And, and to, I'm preaching to myself here. It's a good reminder. We got to get our priorities straight. If we truly have faith that God is going to do what he says. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Remember, this is the son he waited 20, 25 years for. Forget, again, the number, but up in the 20s for, for him. And now God's like, go sacrifice him. Kill him. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises 
was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, right? He thought in his mind that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So Abraham didn't say, well, but God, but God, but he said, okay, well, God, you've promised that Abraham is going to be the father of many nations. So even if you kill him, your plan must be to raise him from the dead. Meaning he was already trying to piece through the middle part of history because he knew, God, you said that my whole generate my this nation is going to be born out of Isaac. So if you kill him, he must have to come back to life. See, that's that faith. He didn't question God. He just said, oh, okay, God must be doing something different. No one had ever been raised from the dead to that from that point on from before before that, but Abraham still believed, well, God must be able to raise him from the dead because God promised. See, he took God's promises serious. When we take God's promises serious, again, it changes how we live. Okay, well, God already said it's going to be like that, so nothing can scare me. God said I'm going to have that job, so yeah, I didn't get it this time, but okay, maybe in four years he's going to give it to me. We don't know the middle, but we know the ending. When God says he'll do something, he is going to do it. And you might say, well, God's not speaking to me about anything. Read the Bible. He's speaking to you about so many things. And maybe he doesn't want to tell you about other things to have faith in because he just wants you to have faith in his word, his word that already exists. Exists. <laughs> um, so yeah, Abraham reasoned that, you know, God could raise him from the dead. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's son and worship as he leaned on top of his staff. When I was reading this the other day, I was saying, yeah, it does take faith to bless someone, right? Like I remember those passages, like both of them bless the children and be like, you're going to succeed and all these things are going to come forth from you. That's like prophecy. Like you have to have faith that God is, go that God is actually going to bless them. To make a blessing on someone, you have to have faith that it actually will take place. That's cool. By faith, Joseph, when he when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instruction about his bones. That means he, he told the Israelites that he wanted his bones to be taken into the promised land. So he already, even though he died, he realized that God's faithfulness is not a requirement in my lifetime. That's how we often think, well, it's not happening within my life. That doesn't change God's faith. Oh, just because God hasn't come back in 2,000 years, that doesn't change who he is faithful. He's never, ever, ever, ever went back on a promise. He's done everything he said in the Bible. And if he hasn't done it, he's going to do it. There's only a few prophecies left. If you didn't know in the Bible, there's like 10% of the Bible yet to be fulfilled. He's going to do it. I think if he's done 90%, I think he'll do the rest. But Joseph, he had faith that the Israelites would be taken from Egypt even after he died. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. Ugh, hold on, you gotta flip the page. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Right? It could have been easy. Live a life of lavish luxury the rest of his life. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Remember, the Egyptians were or the Israelites were slaves in a way to the Egyptians. He chose to be mistreated like them rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. Meaning rather to just be the son of, you know, the Egyptian queen and to just enjoy life all hunky dory. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value. Do we do that? Do we do we regard disgrace like Noah? Are we willing to look stupid to enact God's faithfulness, right? People thought we were crazy moving to Montana. You're not working. What are you doing? 
I believe God when he says he wants to use us to help people come to God. And I know what's most important. I know Christ is coming soon looking for a spotless bride. And I don't see a spotless bride in the church today. So I kn- that's what I'm saying. When I believe that, it gives me the ability to change my life today. That sh- means that, okay, I got to make more podcasts. I got to help more people. If we really believe God, it changes how we live. So I would question you, do you really believe God? So he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Right? Like when Jesus, when God said, I'm going to come destroy all the firstborns in Israel, he had faith that if I put the blood up, like God says, he won't, that angel won't kill the Israeli kids. And guess what? None of them died. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Why? The Egyptians did not have faith. So the sea was closed for them. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. We talked about this after the people had marched around, um, Sorry, after the people had marched around them for seven days. What? That's not normal. That's that's regarding disgrace for the sake of Christ's greater value. They looked so stupid for seven days, but on the eighth day, or on the seventh day, I guess you should say, no one was laughing. Maybe the Israelites a little bit, but. <laughs> By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson. Remember, um, I think, yeah, you know, in the Bible, I think this is Gideon, but I didn't want to say for sure. But if it's not Gideon, there is this story about, you know, uh, Gideon or this person. Um, pretty sure it's Gideon. I just want to be wrong there, but go and look it up for yourself. But, you know, he wants to take all these troops into battle and God keeps making his army smaller and smaller because he wanted Gideon or, yeah, I think it's Gideon, to trust God, that God would take the enemy, not Gideon, not how many soldiers he had. He wanted God to do it. Remember, even when David counted all the soldiers, he was starting to rely on how many soldiers Israel had to protect them. And God got mad at him. God like got seriously angry at him and punished him because he said, you don't trust in me. Why are you counting your men like, like somehow you can control if you win a battle or not? We always think, oh, well, if we have more men, we'll win the battle. But God was like, you could have one man. I'm God. Remember the story I just shared in in um, Isaiah. So I hope this is not too much information. If you're not familiar with all these stories, please go read them because these are extremely important. Um, I don't have more time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, uh, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. If God promised it, we will gain it if we believe we have faith who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames. Remember Daniel when the lion's den, he had faith that God would totally protect him. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they went in the fiery furnace, but they had faith that God would protect them, and he did. Who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. So this is a perfect example of all of us who we will suffer for our faith. We will suffer. 
And we're going to talk about that. That's the refinement. Faith isn't this easy thing. That's why we're all afraid of it. We're afraid to truly live in faith because we will suffer and it will be hard and God will test us. I know that's something we don't want to talk about in the church today. God will test it. Don't say, oh, the enemy is attacking me. No, God's testing you right now. They were stoned. They were sawed in two, right? Speaking of uh, Isaiah, he was sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went back in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes and in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, right? Who goes and gets stoned? You would have denied Jesus by that time unless you have true faith that you know that, yeah, this hurts, but I can't deny God because God is real. He's the only real thing and he will save me. That's why it says they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, meaning the Holy Spirit and and salvation through Christ. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, I'm going to leave you with this, and I know we're reading a lot of the Bible today, maybe more than some of you read in a normal day, but... Let's just go into chapter 12 because, man, it's beautiful how he ends this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now people will say, oh, this is the saints watching. I don't know if I believe all that. I'm, my, I think what he's saying here is just all of these people are witnesses to God's faithfulness, that they believed in God and God came in and was faithful. He enacted what he promised. So, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that's so easily entangles. So like I was saying earlier, he's saying that sin is so easily entangles us and makes us, you know, forget about faith. They're opposites. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as son. So he's saying like, guys, it's going to get harder. Like your faith, your faith is good, but it's going to be tested. You haven't even had to, it hasn't been tested to the point of shedding blood. Someday we might all have to shed blood for the faith. So we need to practice our faith so that when the big struggle, when the big test comes, we're ready. Verse 5, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as son. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Remember what I was saying? God's testing us in our faith. We're saying, oh, the enemy's attacking. No, God's testing us. That's what it's saying. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart if he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. I know I've felt disciplined. I know I've felt much rebuke from the Lord, punishment and guidance. Have you felt that? Because it says that is a sign that you have been accepted as a son and or a daughter of him. If you have not received the Lord's discipline, then are you a daughter or son of the king? We have to question that. And if you haven't, I I beg of you, ask God, God, test my faith. God, help me to be more faithful. Help me to to have faith. Help me to let go of my own will and trust in you. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Great question. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children. Like what I was saying, if you're not disciplined by God, then you are not his son. 
Moreover, we have had, we have all had, uh, sorry, then you are illeg- illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our father disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, right? So sometimes, yeah, our parents disciplined us even though we thought that was stupid and we didn't think that it was best. Maybe even God didn't think it was best, but he's saying here what we can have, again, faith in and believe in is God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness, that the testing and the perseverance of our faith, it grows us and it actually perfects the faith and makes us holy. And like he shared with all those great people of the faith, he credits to us righteousness. He tests the faith, he sees that it's good, and then he credits righteousness. Um, I lost my place. They were, uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it, like I just said. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Wow, that's good. Um, I want to touch on verse 11 real quick before we move on. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So I can only use my example, but you know, in moving here, it was not easy. It was painful. And yes, it's amazing. We live in Montana. What a beautiful place. We're so sincerely and utterly blessed. But in the moment, it was hard because it's stretching. Yeah, I didn't go live in a tent, but I've lived in a house my whole life. I had my own room, and now I was I was sleeping in a rooftop tent, actually, and we were living in our van. Again, I'm not here to bicker about it, but in the world's eye, we did something that was kind of crazy. Again, to the Bible's eye, we're, I think we're just scratching the surface, but again, I can only use that because it's my you know testimony, but it produces a harvest of righteousness for one. So now I have more faith. When God says something, I truly believe he's going to do it because this was something that was big and he had worked on us slowly to see if we had faith. And now it was like huge. We're leaving everything we know for something we don't know anything about without even a house, without anything to show for it. But when God comes through and obeys his, his promises, gives us a house and yeah, we only had to wait like three or four months when he does all of these things that he said he would do for the last few years and that we see him come to light. It brings a peace because, like it says, we have been trained through it. We got trained how to trust God through persevering trials and through hardships and even through some bickering at God. But now we have peace that when he tells us to do something else, it's like, okay, we can do that. Okay, yeah, we know you're going to come through because he's done it already. That's the peace that is produced through perseverance. Whew. That was a lot. I'm going to drink a little water and you're going to hear the water whistle again. Man, if my throat was sore, it's definitely sore now. So, um, let's see. (laughs) That was a lot. Um, yeah, I have some more notes here, but I, I really felt like Man, that passage just speaks so much. But I just have some thoughts that I want to throw in, and maybe I've already repeated them because, again, when I make notes often, I end up saying them before I read them. The notes are really just for it to get in my head. But, you know, God said we were going to do greater things than him, but we have to have faith in that. I want to give you some example, right? Like, he wants to see all aspects of our faith. If it's hearing from him, he wants us to step out and attempt to hear his voice. 
I, the reason I bring this up is a lot of people we disciple, this is something that we're all working through, you know, even myself. But if we truly believe that God speaks, then we need to go and spend time with him and listen and then trust when he speaks something. Even if it's unclear, he will see that faith just like a magnet and he'll meet it. If we really believe in healing, he wants us to pray for those who are sick and expect the healing, right? Do you see what I'm saying? If you see someone sick and you don't pray for them, and I'm speaking to myself here, God's asking, do you really believe in healing? If you believe in healing, then why aren't you praying for them? If we really believe that God is our provider, we really have faith in that, we will let God lead our business. We'll take the foot off the gas. We will stop cheating on our taxes. We will take more time out for God. We will change our focus. But we have to believe that he's our provider. We have to have faith in that. Or we're always going to be striving. If we really, really believe he is our physician, it says we are healed by his stripes, that he died for all of our infirmities. He wants us to take a step of faith and get off that medication and trust in him. And I know, listen, a lot of you will say, well, how dare you tell people to get off medication? I'm not telling you, but the word is. Because do you trust in medication or do you trust in him? And I know a lot of you are going to say, well, God led me to the medication. Did he? If you can sleep at night and sincerely believe that, then more power to you. And I, I it, that's between you and God. But God didn't say, I'm your physician and here's how I'm going to heal you through medicine, all these things. He said, no, I'm your physician. I already died for everything. And if faith is the only counterpart, because remember, when people got healed, Jesus said, your faith has healed you then it's not about, oh, I need to go get medication. That's not faith. He's saying we need to have confidence for what we hope for. So confidence in that we will be healed and that we really hope for that healing and assurance about what we do not see. Believing, knowing for a fact that I will be healed. Going to get medication is not that. That is not faith. That is trust in ourselves. That is trust in That is faith in doctors. That is faith in medication. Faith in God is saying, God, you're supernatural. You don't need any substance to heal me. You just need the substance of my faith. So if we really believe he's a physician, then why are we so trusting in medication and vaccines? Who do we trust, man or God? Ourselves? God. Remember, the devil trusts in himself. So who are we more like when we trust in ourselves? We so often become our own gods in this world. We take medication so we don't die and we become God. And again, I don't want this to get about medication, but it's a good way to, if you, if you're asking, well, Taylor, how do I strengthen my faith? How about next time you get a headache, you don't take that Advil. And I'm not saying this to condemn you or anything. I'm not even trying to condemn anyone. I'm trying to, uh, challenge you because I've been doing the same thing and it's hard. <laughs> I haven't taken any medication for, Oh man, probably eight months now, seven months. Um, and it's not to glorify myself. Again, I'm not on my deathbed, so I can't speak that way, but I also can only speak from the truth of God. Just because I'm not being uh, tested in terms of my faith in uh, medication and my faith in God, that doesn't mean that it's not the truth. Or think about work. We work our whole lives thinking, you know, uh, so we can thank ourselves for our riches instead of God. The, the devil makes this thing where there's no need now for God because we have ourselves. Medication takes care of our health. Um, our hard work, our abilities, our skills take care of the money. So what, what do we need God for? But if you really look into things, you really realize you 
are not in control of anything. You who are working your whole life so that you can have, you know, a good retirement, you might step out the door tomorrow and die. You know, you who are taking medication, that medication might not work. I'd much rather trust in God who is unfailing than medication who will fail many times. It's man-made, it's God. And dare I say, I believe that some of it, if not all, could be demonic as well. <clears throat> Fun. Okay. <laughs> Two more sections that are short. Refinement. Okay. So faith, like I said, it's testing. That's why I'm bringing up all these hard subjects because this is a part of testing. Right now, today, God is testing your faith through me or through whatever I'm saying. He's testing your faith. He's testing my faith as well. So let's let's scoot on over to James, my favorite books in the Bible. I think actually that's right before Hebrews. Uh, oh, right after Hebrews. Yeah. Um, let's go over to James 1. Remember, this is Jesus' brother. Didn't believe him in him at first. Uh, we're going to go th- 2 through 8, and then we're also going to do verse 12. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish it w- its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And then down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So let's do this backwards. Verse 12, it's talking about just like Hebrews 11 ended. Like all those men were credited righteousness because of their faith. And yeah, the faith was testing and it was trial, but in the end they received the crown of life. And then going back to one, two through uh, eight, you know, um, it's saying that because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So when you're being tested, don't say, oh, the devil's, you know, testing or the devil's really attacking me, you know, like ask God, is this you? Because I truly believe a lot of times we call things the devil when it's really just God. He's testing your faith. Why? Because he wants it to you. He wants to develop in you perseverance. Every time God shows His faithfulness, and you don't rely on yourself, you rely on Him. Like God, I can't pay this bill, but I'm trusting in you. Please, God, please. All of a sudden, then the next time it becomes easier, and the next time it becomes easier. It's, like, it's just like sin in the opposite way. Perseverance must must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So, if we want to be mature in our faith. We need to be tested. So if you're not being tested, pray to God. God, test me. Because <laughs> it must happen so that you will be complete, mature, and not lacking anything. Do you want to be complete, mature, not lacking anything? You need to be tested. And again, then he talks about, you know, you don't, um, when you ask from God, you must believe and not doubt, right? Again, doubt is the opposite of faith. That's what we live our whole lives on. We doubt God and we doubt truly what he says. We don't actually believe what he says in the Bible. We go to church and we say he, we believe it, but we don't actually believe because it doesn't change our lives. So therefore we live in a doubt and then that doubt turns us to trusting in our own self. And that's what God doesn't want. Remember David, he was counting his army because he was trusting in himself. Do we have enough military to take care of this job? God's like, oh, hold on. You're supposed to trust in me. You're supposed to have faith in me, not yourself. All right. So, um, you know, I was reading this book and it's kind of talking about some of this stuff. And 
said some good quotes. So I just want to say some of those as well. Like, if you really believe in God's promises, you are willing to wait on them. So that's what he's saying. Like this perseverance, these trials, basically it's like Abraham. He didn't get his son for 20 plus years. He had to wait. But because he believed in God's promises, he was willing to wait. Now, obviously we know that he made a mess up. He had a child with, um, you know, that, uh, his, um, concubine or whatever it is, uh, his maidservant. And obviously that's not what God intended. But in the end, God set him right and and he still waited on God and trusted in him. So if we really believe in God's promises, we're not going to take things into our own hand. You know, if it's like, God, it hasn't happened still in 30 years. I, I wanted that to happen in five years. doesn't matter. We're willing to wait on them because we know God's promises are greater. And think about it. Every day we spend waiting on God's promises, whether they be promises from the word or just things that he's told us specifically, it proves the validity of our belief to God, trusting in him. And ultimately your faith that God will see things through, right? Like it's, it's showing God that there's validity. And that's why he said like perseverance, like that actually produces like maturity and, and, um, like a finished work of faith. And, you know, I always remind people of the verse, and this is just a good example, but if you're wondering, well, Taylor, what are promises that I need to rely on in the Bible? Okay, just read it. I never even thought about this, but like like this one. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. That's a promise. That's not just a flippant, oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. No, he's saying, if you really seek me, you will find me. So when people come to me and they're like, yeah, I've been seeking, I'm not finding him. I'm like, okay, you're not seeking hard enough, or you're not really seeking him. And that sounds harsh, but... I'm either going to call God a liar or you a liar. And I'd much rather call you a liar. And I don't mean that in a mean way. Like, I'm not going to say you're a liar, but I'm going to encourage the person, hey, maybe seek more, you know, because God is saying here, if you seek, you will find. So these are the promises that if you want, if you feel like, wow, I don't have any faith after this podcast, like I really need to strengthen my faith. Start here, like seeking God that you will find him, right? We have to look at these things and realize they're promises. And just like the negative ones too, like when he says, you know, liars, stealers, adulterers, all these things, those are the people that will go to hell. That's not a good idea. That's that's a promise. And God always keeps his word. So you don't want to be one of those people or you're really going to end up in, the, in that way, you know? Um, and I think, you know, our, our world... And I'm talking about the Christian world is so devoid of faith, so devoid of faith. Like we don't have faith for anything. Even us, even us who are involved in the supernatural and God's opened our eyes things, we have such small faith um, for healing. We have such small faith for deliverance. We put God in these boxes uh, and it's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, and I think I just want to encourage everyone, just have more faith, live by faith. I don't mean this in a negative way as in like put God to the test because it says don't put God to the test in, in a way to be like, come on, like testing, testing him. But I'm saying if he, if he's promising this, then test it for yourself to see if his promises are true. And I guarantee you they are test it for yourself. That's what we need from. Yeah, of course, we're not going to have this amazing faith in one day, but test it for yourself to see if what God says is true. You know, these people in the Bible, they had certain promises from God that God spoke to them, but we have a whole Bible worth of promises to us. Test and see if those things are true. God, you're my healer. So I'm not taking medication. I'm trusting to you because you said you're going to do it. You said, you promised that you are going to heal me, that you already died for my healing. It's already done. So I'm not going to take medication because I trust it. 
that's why I'm a little, that's why I'm kind of going against medication because when I take medication, it's just me basically non-verbally saying to God, I don't trust you as much as I trust this medication. But God's like, I already died for your problem thousands of years ago. Test what he says to be true. And I guarantee you it will be true. Let's go to first Peter one, three through nine. This is going to be the last little reading of this. And I hope you guys are still sticking around. I hope you're still hanging out. Um, Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith us are shielded by God's power, right? So it's by our faith that we're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He's saying in this faith, you greatly rejoice, though again, you've had to suffer. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible glorious joy. You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this is the verse I want to leave you guys with because specifically where it says the trials, the tests, those are from God. Those are not from the devil. These have come so that your faith, all of our faith, which is greater worth than gold, which even gold perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor. Maybe prove genuine when, when God's here, he might he will say that's that was genuine faith, and it will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, in the ancient days, gold, if it were not tested by fire, if it was not refined through fire, it was worth nothing. So your faith, if it never be tested, is not worth anything. It's actually not faith. Just like James, right? Like faith without works is dead. If we don't see the faith, if it is not refined by the fire, if if the fire has not proven it to be um, sturdy, solid, and trustworthy, then it's worth nothing. And that's why he uses the example that the, the fire is hot and hard, but true gold will be refined by through the fire. And and I don't know all the signs behind it, but we'll, we'll survive just as our faith. If it truly refined by the fire, if it truly be faith, it will survive and it will come out stronger worth more. Remember when the gold comes out, it's worth much more refined through the fire and it may be proved genuine. So the only way, if if we are justified through faith, not by works, not by anything else, if we're justified through faith, the only way God is going to say to each and every one of you, good and faithful servant, as if your faith was refined through the hottest fire and it survived. Remember he said in Hebrews, you haven't even suffered to the point of shedding blood, meaning you might have to do that. That's the fire. We're not talking about, you know, some some easy stuff like moving to Montana. That's that's the beginning. You're not going to be ready. You're it's not going to be refined and your faith will not be genuine and because of that you will suffer eternal torment in the lake of fire. And these are not my words and I say them to myself as well. Is our faith tested? And is it worth something? Is it genuine? The only way we can find that out is if God tests you. So if you have everything in control, 
you're taking your meds, you're you're doing the normal world thing, you're saving for time. How can God show his faithfulness? How can he refine you? How can he test you? I'm telling you, when I was in the world and I was just living my normal life, doing my church thing, but I still was pursuing work, pursuing this, taking my medication for this, trusting in myself to provide, spending the money where I want to spend it, doing what I want to do. My faith wasn't refined. I had no faith at all. And yet you can lie to yourself and say, but I do have faith. Then why, why, why was I taking medication when I was sick? Why didn't I trust in God? Who's greater, medication or God? And if God wants me to die tomorrow, why am I stopping that? That means I don't have faith in his plan. Sorry, there's no way out of this argument. We have to have our faith refined through the fire. And if we are not willing to let go of these things and walk by the Spirit, by faith, we will perish and we will not make it to the end because we have not even suffered to the point of death. We have not even suffered to the point of shedding blood. All things without faith mean nothing. That's what I'm going to leave you with. Baptism without faith means nothing. Remember Colossians 2 talks about, you know, it's the faith of what's going, what's happening when you're baptized. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Absolutely. But without faith, baptism is a pool party. Repentance without faith means nothing, right? It says that the Lord leads people into repentance. You won't repent if you don't have true faith because faith says, I'm looking at what the word says and says, idolaters, all these things will go to hell. I need to repent. Repent means turn away. I need to not be an idolater. I need to not be um, a drunkard. I need to not be a sexual immoral. So without faith, repentance is just confession. It's just what the Catholics do. Hey, I did all these bad things. I'm going to go do them tomorrow. Works without faith, as James points out, means nothing. If we just do the works, God, God, we cast out demons in your name. We heal in your name. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They had zero faith. And because they had no faith in what Jesus said, their lives demonstrated sin, and because of that sin, it separated them from God. Only works done from sincere faith have the power to glorify and honor God through obedience. So baptism with faith is obedience and is salvation. Repentance with faith is obedience and salvation. Romans points out that a man is justified by his faith alone. Faith will lead us to glorify God, to be born again, to do works for his name. Like I said, if we know that Jesus is coming back and he's looking for a pure and spotless bride and that I have to be righteous, then my, that faith, that belief in that will of course lead me to repent because I know that sinners don't enter the kingdom. That of course lead me to baptism because I know that I must be for forgiven for my sins. And the Bible clearly says the baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins. And I will clearly know because of my faith that I need the Holy Spirit to walk in the power of God. Faith leads us to all these things. Faith is the beginning. It doesn't, it's not to say baptism is not important, but it doesn't say those who weren't baptized and, and didn't, you know, get the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. Don't go to heaven. It says the sinners. So you have to have faith in, in reading that and believing it to be true to lead you to repentance, to lead you to baptism, to lead you to the Holy Spirit. How can we follow someone if we're too busy following ourselves? Ask yourselves that question. How can I have faith in someone if I have so much faith in myself? Faith in the end commands surrender of everything and the giving of oneself completely to the leading of the Lord and his spirit. If we do not have faith, we will not surrender. And if we have true faith, we will surrender everything. We will give up everything. Say, God, I'm yours. I'm the magnet on the wall. I'm stuck to you. You take me wherever you want. You do with me whatever you want. Just because the world says I got to work a nine to five and I got to save money and I got to take medication. I got to do this and I got to have friends. The world is not my God. I am not my God. You are my God. 
and I have faith in your word and your fit and having faith in your word, your word says I will be an alien. So God, take me, do whatever you want with me. None of the great men and women of faith in the Bible would be justified without surrender because God said to Abraham, leave your, leave your town, leave your house. He wouldn't have done that without surrendering his will. He said to Noah, build an ark. He wouldn't have done that without surrendering his will because he looked like an idiot to everyone around him. And like I said before, Adam and Eve probably would not have sinned if they had sincere faith in what God said and who he was. And wow, that, that's powerful. That just brings it all back to the beginning. How are we in this condition? A lack of faith. We could have just believed and trusted in God. He said not to eat the fruit. Okay, I'm just not going to eat the fruit. But we didn't. We trusted in ourselves. And that is what the devil wants. That's what the devil wants in all of you listening. That's what the devil wants in me. He wants us to trust in ourselves. He wants us to rely in our, on ourselves, have faith in ourselves. And where did that get us? Got us right in the world that we are today. And Adam and Eve is a prime example of that. So that's what I'm going to leave you guys with. <clears throat> Woo, that was, that was a lot. And praise God for that. Thank you, Lord, for just delivering that message, God. And we just thank you for being the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, God. Please help me to be a liver of these words, God. Um, yes, Lord, we just want to take your words so seriously, God, and to just have faith. We, I think a lot of us can read that Hebrews 11 and just be so inspired, God, by all those men and women of God, Lord, that so powerful, Lord, that they trusted in you and you showed up. God, was it easy? No, but was it the greatest life? Yes. And I'm a testament to that on a micro scale, Lord, that following you and not the ways of the world is so much greater than anything. Anything. So God, help us to have sincere and utter faith, God, in you and in your promises. God, I pray that this would go out to every person that you deem needs to hear this. I, play, I pray that this podcast would blow up, not for my will to be done, God, but that people would hear this message, this powerful message spoken by your spirit, not by Taylor or anyone else, God, that your spirit spoke this, God, and that um, their faith would also be perfected and authored by you, God. We just thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Woo. Wow, guys. Um, well, thank you guys if you've stuck around this long. I know these last two episodes have been like, long guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm so thankful for you guys. And please take this message to heart, walk away, changed by this message. We don't want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers, right? I'll leave you with this. Cause I heard this in a sermon the other day. I thought it was funny. Um, if I tell, and I don't have a daughter, but if I tell my daughter, Hey, make your bed. And I come down, I'm like, I, I told you to make your bed. She's like, yeah, yeah. I memorized that. I, I memorized you saying, make your bed. Yeah, but you didn't do it. <laughs> this is how God looks at us. Yeah, yeah, but I memorized my Bible. But are you doing it? I truly believe God cares less about you knowing your Bible than he cares about you following him with everything you have. There's so many people who know the word, but they don't do it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I memorized that. Here, check this out. Hey, make your bed. <laughs> Does that accomplish anything? Like we can listen to that and be like, wow, that's so dumb. But that's the lives most of us live. I'll leave you with that. <laughs> I love you guys. 
Um, I pray that this message just blessed you guys and um, have a great weekend. Um, We'll talk to you guys soon.